I don't know what design thinking is, but everybody's talking about design thinking as the new thing that people will do in the city. What is design thinking? Uh, design thinking actually has a really long history. So it actually started out of the idea of observing designers, like architects, for example, and how they use tools as part of their design process and their thinking process when they're developing new solutions or also tackling complex problems. And out of that field, what we got out of that research um, is essentially a collection of methods and tools. And those methods and tools is what we now know as design thinking. Welcome to episode four in our five-part series to celebrate the centenary of the School of Architecture, Design and Planning here at the University of Sydney. I'm Dallas Rogers, host of City Road Podcast. In the first episode, we looked at the social and cultural life of the architecture degree. In the second episode, we took a deep dive into the idea of utopia. And in the third episode, we travelled to Latvia to hear about Evelina Ozola's tactical urbanism projects. In this episode, we're talking to Martin Tomic about design thinking and cities. I'm Martin Tomic. I'm the Chair of Design at the University of Sydney in the Sydney School of Architecture, Design and Planning. And I'm also the Research Director of the Design Lab. Martin's research looks at how design thinking can be deployed to make better cities. In a world where over half the population lives in cities, in the midst of a digital revolution, Martin's looking at new ways to engage the smart city. Central to Martin's design thinking approach is the user experience. And in his new book, Making Cities Smarter, Designing Interactive Urban Applications, he does just that. Essentially, the book tries to translate known design principles from the fields of design thinking and user experience design to an urban environment. As a designer, we usually have to identify the right tool for the right design situation and, and problem that we're working on. But one of the important things sort of on a higher level that came out of that research on design thinking is looking at design as a process. And then those tools are feeding into the different steps of the process. And so when we now talk about design thinking and the value of design thinking to other fields like business and also urban environments, um, we really often refer to this idea of design as a process. Unlike other more linear research methodologies and ways of engaging with and understanding the city, design thinking is based on an iterative process where you continue to build and test different products and ideas until a solution is found. So one of the fundamental ideas of design thinking is that we don't necessarily come up with the right solution immediately. Um, and so instead of trying to strive for this one perfect solution, which is something that we often are inclined to do, we are trying to come up with a lot of different solutions very quickly and try to iterate on them, to test them, to refine them. And so a really important part of that process is to fail along the way in order to find the solution that works the best for the particular situation. Could you give me a very practical example? For instance, what do students do? How do students apply design thinking in the classes that you teach? 
maybe I will talk about a project that is actually also featured in my book, which is the Tetrapin. And that project originally started as a student project. So it came out of a uh, class that I taught here um, a few many years ago now. And so in that particular unit, students were asked to go out into the city and identify an issue in an urban environment. So uh, some sort of concern in an urban environment that they could then address in the design project. And so that particular group around the Tetrapin used observations. So they went out into the city and did observations and interviews to focus on the problem of littering in cities. This is the kind of problem design thinking is best suited for. Problems that are tricky or ill-defined. What Hurst Riddle calls wicked problems. And so out of the research, uh, which also involved uh, looking at how councils deal with uh, waste disposal in cities, for example, and even observing people emptying those bins in the city, they came up with this idea of gamifying or commenting the act of putting rubbish into a bin. And so they, uh, their solution essentially was to make this act of putting rubbish into the bin more fun by wrapping the bin in an LED display. And so every time you put rubbish into the bin, you can make a move of a game like Tetris, for example. So it's a bit like uh, instead of call- controlling Tetris with a joystick or a, k- a keyboard, you control the Tetris game by putting rubbish into the bin. So you put rubbish in the bin and the bin lights up and does something that kind of engages you in, in the process. Of yes. Makes you yeah. almost want to put more stuff in the bin. Uh, well, the idea is that you put more stuff in the bin rather than on the street. And that actually, so that insight came out of the research where they looked at how people, well, the reasons for littering in the cities, in cities for, in the first place. And often it was not necessarily, what they found it was that it wasn't necessarily an intentional act of littering, but more a bit of a carelessness. And so they wanted to give people this additional extra incentive to do the right thing. And actually, at the time, the city of Sydney was also running campaigns um, against littering. And so they were trying to, rather than sort of uh, following the path of shaming people who don't do the right thing and maybe even penalizing people for fines, they wanted to make it fun to do the right thing. And they went through this design process of actually um, prototyping the idea. So they did storyboarding and they built an actual working prototype that we tested here in the school, for example, and around the school, which they built just with material that they found in our lab. And again, they did observations around how people would interact with that, with that bin and then continuously refined the, um, the prototype. So the design process always involves some sort of object So I'm thinking about what makes this different from social science research. And in social science, we almost go out and observe the city, come back in, and then just write up the findings. But I guess what's different here is there is a degree of research, but there's also an object that's part of this. You're designing an object, and that object fits into a city that's part of another design process as well. Is that fair to say? Yes, um, that's 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 right. And design in design thinking in, in in that context always involves also looking at the interactions between people and products or services and systems. So there is often some sort of artifact involved, like in this case the bin. But another really important difference is that science, while we're using similar methods to science, science is much more thorough in the way they're using the methods, which is because science has a different goal to design or design research. So in science, or the, the aim of science research is to find out what is true. So they're observing the world the way it is, 
currently is and trying to find out what is actually true. So it is therefore really, really important to be quite rigorous in the way um, we're using methods in science research, in science-based research. But in design, the role or the role of design is to uh, envision a world that could be and to imagine what a world could be through the interrogation of design. And so therefore, the purpose of using those methods has a very different purpose. We're using those methods to inform what a future might look like rather than to understand what is actually true at the moment. It's exploratory in that sense. It's exploratory and it's also iterative. So iteration is really, really important in design research. So often it can be better to use some of those methods multiple times. So we go out into the field, we collect data, we come back and we synthesize those um, data, and then we might identify further gaps and we go back into the field and we try to collect more data. And so again, this iteration is really important because every time we do this iteration, we develop a deeper understanding about the problem space, which is really, really what design thinking is all about. Design think, make, break, repeat. Is that the mantra? Uh, we used it as the title of a book and also to describe the design thinking model or the design process model we're using to teach design in our programs because we feel that it very nicely describes the main elements of a design process, um, not just in terms of the steps, but also in terms of the philosophy. Um, so design is, of course, the overarching thing that we're looking at, and it's not necessarily a step in itself, but then the steps that we capture through this model are think, make, break, and repeat. And so thinking, the thinking step is about learning about the context, understanding the problem that we're working on. The making step is about actually building a tangible solution, um, building a solution or a presentation of what the solution might look like, um, so that we can then test it in the next step, which is the break step, where we're trying to break our ideas, our solutions, in order to come up with a better solution in the next iteration. And the repeat step is the reminder that this is an iterative process. So rather than spending a lot of time on each individual step and just going through this in one linear process, it's important to go through this model as quickly and as often as possible. Through a cycle. Through a cycle. It's iterative, as an iterative cycle, yes. You're listening to City Road, and we're talking to Martin Tomic, head of the Design Lab at the University of Sydney. Coming up after the break, we'll hear how Martin is taking design thinking to the streets. Yeah, so I've been doing that mostly through um, actually creating designs, so um, actually through engaging in the making of um, prototypes. And the way we've been doing that in our research is that we're trying to translate those known principles from interaction design into an urban environment. And, and usually we start with a problem rather than with the technology. So again, going back to the tetrapin example, we didn't start with the technology of an LED screen that could be wrapped around the bin and then turn an urban object like a bin into a game or game environment. Rather, we started from the problem of littering and then we tried to find a solution uh, which involved technology um, in its implementation. Is it a problem for designers to let the technology drive the application? Absolutely. That's a real risk. It's a real problem. It's a risk. And I 
think it's also dangerous in that there's a certain lure of new technology and whatever is the latest technology, whether it's AI or virtual reality or augmented reality or long time ago it was RFID, that that becomes sort of the driver of solutions. And there are actually, actually examples in, smart, in the field of smart cities where entire new smart city developments were planned around the new technology. Radio frequency identity tags, or what Martin calls RFID, contain electronically stored information. They're in your smartphones and ID badges. It's the technology you use when you pay for your coffee with your phone. Entire cities have been designed with the use of RFID tags in mind. Like Songdo in South Korea, just 25 miles south of Seoul. Songdo was supposed to be the world's first smart city. It's often criticized for many things. It also has some great aspects to it as well. But one of the negative sides of it that Anthony Townsend describes in his book is that it was conceived around this idea of RFID DACs. And so the idea was that the entire city would sort of function around this idea of using RFID DACs to access certain aspects or to operate certain services within the city, which apparently went even that far that you had to have an RFID DAC to open a rubbish bin on the street to put your can of Coke in. And so that becomes problematic if you're, for example, just a tourist, a visitor, and you don't actually have like the RFID tag or card that you need to access those services. And a big problem of, of that approach is also that technology gets outdated very quickly, right? And so if we are designing a smart city or a city around a particular technology, then we're locking ourselves into that technology. And in particular, um, urban developments that take a long time, like Songdo, for example, the problem is that then by the time the city is completed, the technology might already be outdated. And so in the spirit of design and design thinking, it's much more important that we actually focus on the problem and that we try to find the right solution for the problem. And in the implementation of that solution, also think about aspects such as how do we future-proof our solution so that they don't become outdated very quickly, so that we can upgrade them easily, or so that they remain relevant even as technology changes. Could you tell me about some of your community participation projects? Yeah, so we've been using also this idea of design thinking and using an iterative design process in the domain of community engagement. Uh, we've done a number of work in that area, all of which attempts to tackle the issue of or the challenge of engaging a wide demographic or a wide cross section of communities in an engagement process. So Australia is actually really good in terms of implementing community engagement uh, because it's part of the, the legal process when you're proposing a new development. But what a lot of people in working in this field find is that it's quite challenging to target certain demographics. Traditional engagement methods like town hall meetings used to be key meeting places for people to come together to have their say in improving the city they live in. One critique of the usefulness of town hall meetings today is that this engagement process can marginalise younger people and others who are just too busy to get to the local town hall. Martin thinks the answer is design thinking. What we found is that there is some creative element to it so that it draws people into that um, engagement process and makes them curious in a way and also ensuring that the activity is actually fun. 
Um, and so, for example, we also used in one of those projects an augmented reality applications where people could actually see and experience the particular scenario through an augmented reality application. In one instance, Martin worked with an electricity provider around a tree maintenance project. The idea was to engage local people in issues around the trimming of trees around the power lines. One of the challenges was that people just don't like cutting down trees or even having them trimmed. But Martin says it's an important part of keeping the community safe from fires. We developed an augmented reality application that was running on a smartphone um, that we installed on the site and we used two large tangible cubes that people could move. And so one of the cubes represented the electrical, uh, an electrical pole and the wires, and then the other cube uh, represented a tree. And so two people working together could move the two cubes to closer to each other, and then uh, the person looking through the augmented reality application would see how the tree catches fire. And so it was a way of uh, playfully engaging people with that uh, topic. Um, it wasn't a very scientific representation, but it was um, it was effective in a way to get people to be curious and then to start that conversation. And once we had started that conversation with passersby, they were then more likely to actually also complete one of the community engagement um, service or the community responses. Where do you see the future of design thinking going in terms of the city? I think design thinking is already happening in the urban environment and for the purpose of urbanization. But I think it's incredibly important that we continue the dialogue and to develop tools that more uh, easily applicable. And I think a large part of this conversation also needs to be to educate those who are the decision makers about the value of design thinking. Um, Because often the challenge with design thinking is that you don't necessarily come up with, you don't necessarily know exactly at the beginning what the solution will be at the end. And that makes it quite difficult to pitch an idea. So rather than pitching an idea, it's about pitching a process, a process of transformation. I don't think there's a limit in terms of where it could be applied because that's the that's the beauty of design about design thinking, that it can essentially be applied to any scenario and any environment, any situation. But there are many issues that cities around the world are currently struggling with or coping with where design could provide a solution. So, for example, around transport, um, which is what we refer to as a big problem um, that involves many stakeholders and many different challenges that have to be negotiated. And so one thing that design thinking is really great at is that it allows to bring those different perspectives from the different stakeholders into um, a a centralised dialogue. You've been listening to a special five-part series to celebrate the centenary of the School of Architecture, Design and Planning at the University of Sydney. Subscribe to the podcast to hear more interviews with internationally renowned academics. The links are on our website at cityroadpod.org.